So today is an incredibly special day. I am so excited to be here with Coletta V, former head of Worldwide Channel Strategy. It's an exciting time for you. And also, I'm really excited to pick your brain, learn some of your golden nuggets of wisdom. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. Of course. And so before we jump in and I start asking you some questions and tips and strategies about what you've learned along your way to, um, you know, to some of your amazing work, I thought I'd ask you a little bit about how did you get started? Was there anyone? Was there a person? Was there an event? What really inspired you to greatness and inspired you on this journey to become, um, you know, worldwide channel strategy expert? Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. My first job in the channel was actually, I had lived and worked in Japan prior to, uh, just after graduating from university. I was there for, I think, three and a half years, um, where I really learned this language and the culture. And then I came back to America and I was looking for something where I could utilize my Japanese. Well, a good friend of mine and a mentor there, just as I was leaving, was saying that Japanese is a skill that you can use, but what can you do? And I, it was top of mind thinking, I was thinking, what can I do? Um, so I found this job in network security. It was my first job in the channel. Um, I started out in the technical support area. I moved into sales engineer. I moved into field territory management. Then um, later I moved into establishing a channel strategy for another company and then running global channel programs and doing recruiting. So I had all this experience both on the technical side as well as the sales and field side. And these roles that I've held, you know, for example, the head of worldwide channel strategy or uh, the managing director of global channel sales, these roles are ones that take all this various experience in the channel and bring it all together. And so I've been really blessed with regards to having these disparate type um, opportunities in the channel and then being able to tie it all together and really come up with cohesive strategies for companies on how to approach their channel and do the best things for their partners and make their partner experiences more streamlined. Well, that's super, super interesting. So one, one message that I got out of there, if someone listening who is interested in channel strategy or interested in worldwide channel strategy is to really just jump in and start getting some experience. Uh, so it seems like a common thread throughout is that if you don't have the experience, you just got to start somewhere. You just kind of have to give yourself a little nudge and, and jump in and rely on your network. And then possibly it sounds like a little bit of it was to at least in the beginning serendipity, you know, or some input from a friend you know, and so just to really pay attention to those things. And I'm sure at first it was a little uncomfortable, right? Absolutely. Yes. As a matter of fact, that first job I had in the general, when I was working in the um, tech support area, I interviewed for the role. I didn't have any of the experience on the job rack, except for Japanese preferred at the very bottom. They were asking for networking and security. I didn't have either one. I went in there. I was drinking from the fire hose. It takes... Um, I had courage to try something that I'd never done before. Uh, I listen, I, I'm a hard worker. And so what happened is the head of worldwide channel sales came to me and said, 
now that you understand the culture, you understand the culture of the company, you understand the language, Japanese and the Japanese culture and our products, go over there and open that market. So he gave me an opportunity to do something that he saw something in me that I probably didn't see in myself at the time. And once again, it was a little bit of serendipity, a little bit of mm-hmm. like jumping in with two feet in everything I do. And that was really the pivotal point that allowed me to do that international experience, which taught me so much more beyond just, you know, work skills. Um, how I approach problems is just so different because of that experience that I had. Yeah. And I wish I could tell you how many times I've heard that when someone saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, I went for it. Mm -hmm. And that honestly is the difference between world-class performers and someone who has achieved a certain level of success. And maybe those, like, if you think about what would it have been like if you stayed safe and Um, stayed safe. And it reminds me also of a a quote that I have out there, which is what you did was the total opposite is that when we try and stay safe, it keeps us small. So Mm -hmm. if you were trying to play it safe and be like, I don't know, that's not really me, he must be like, not know what he's talking about, there's no way. And then that would have been you keeping your yourself safe. And then the next door and the next door and the next door you know, may not have opened. So good for you for being courageous. And I just think that that is a very for aligned um, opportunities that is so important to pay attention to the people that believe in us. So and I'm build on really that. glad that you brought that up. Exactly. And to build on that, the head of worldwide channel sales who gave me this opportunity to do it, he would not have put me in that position if he didn't think I was going to be successful because his success was dependent upon my success in that region. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that there's an element of trust that you need to have in people who you respect and admire, you know, that they have your best interests at heart and that they would never put you in a situation where they thought you were going to fail. Yeah. So, so those two things, if it's aligned to what you want to do with mm-hmm. someone you trust and then it might be time to get a little uncomfortable. So, you know, good for you for doing that. That's so, so amazing. And so clearly, you know, well, I don't want to make the assumption, but I'm putting it out there that there was maybe some fear and doubt, like you said, yes. And you're like, what did I do? And, you know, and, and that type of thing early on. So what was the mindset that allowed you to be successful then, but allowed you to keep being successful to get to where you are? Yeah. So when, especially when you're moving to, Well, my history in Japan was in the hospitality industry. And I think every environment you're in, in a foreign country, when you're learning language, I consider it kind of suitcases or language packs that you get. So I had language packs that were around hospitality. When I moved over there for network security, I didn't necessarily have those language packs that enable, that, you know, were around the technology, that were around contract negotiation, that were around business terms. So I was not only, I was back in an environment that I was familiar with, yes, and I understood the culture, but I didn't have those language packs in place. So I was learning the language that applied to these specific scenarios, as well as trying to navigate culturally and business-wise. So it was just such a personal and professional rewarding time in my life. Mm -hmm. 
And so, excuse me, what was the mindset, though, that got you through those moments when you were like, "Uh oh, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, it kind of reminds me, I, uh, a couple years ago, I opened the Women of Silicon Valley conference, and I was introducing and I'm not a technologist. And so some of their positions, I did not know what they were, how to pronounce it, you know, and it is so I understand what you're saying, even though I'm a, obviously a native English speaker, I can only imagine what it would be like, you know, being in Japan and switching, you know, suitcases, so to speak. So what was the, the, the mindset that really allowed you to process some of the emotion around that and just keep moving forward? I always have, I consider a very positive mindset. Um, I, it's really important for me to remain positive and understand what my goals are and continue to drive toward those goals. If my goal is proficiency in the language, which includes proficiency in a culture, then um, I'll do what I need to do to get there. And there were times, yes, where I had setbacks. And for example, I had never presented to very large audiences on network security to begin with, let alone present on network security in Japanese. So here I was in front of hundreds of people talking about network security in my non-native language. Um, It's just, it's a positive mindset, but it's also a persistent mindset. And so I feel like in many cases, all somebody has to do is tell me no, and then that just motivates me to do it even Mm -hmm. more. And especially if it's something that I'm really interested in and that I know that I want to do. So, you know, there were times when I made mistakes every day, every day Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I was uh, speaking with people and it was made obvious to me that maybe I was saying something wrong or um, my, you know, like physical um, actions were not right, then I would ask them, well, how do I do that? Or for example, if you bow, you bow wrong. Well, how do you bow? And then they teach you how to bow properly. So just every day there were constant reminders about things that I, I could do to better navigate that environment. And it really gave me motivation to really get it right. So, yeah. and the same thing, you know, with the work side of things, there are times when I'm given new responsibilities and I don't know how to do it, but I figure it out. Mm-hmm. So that mindset of figuring out positive, persistent, and I'll figure it out. And I imagine too, that when you were speaking to all of these folks in Japanese, your non-native language, uh, I'm just throwing out there, they probably were not women. Oh, you're correct. Yes. yes. But I was average height. Yeah. <laughs> and I had dark hair. <laughs> yeah. So there were some similarities, but yeah. not <laughs> gender was not, gender was not one of them. Right. And so... So along those lines, I'm wondering if that really fueled your interest in really creating space for diverse teams to have a voice. And so if you can shine a little light on that, and then also, how do you create that in your teams? Because it's one thing for a company to say that they are diverse and equitable, but it's another thing for um, those who feel who are marginalized within our gender or outside of our gender to actually feel safe. And so yeah. how do you create that? Because, you know, the the jury's out, the research is out. This is not only fair and just for them, but it's also good for business. So can you shine I, some light on that? 
Yeah, so that experience definitely um, had an impact on my interest in creating safe environments for diverse populations. There were two main things that I learned when I was over there. One, how to be by myself, which is an extremely important lesson for everybody to learn. And two was that I can't possibly do everything myself. So it's really important for me to hire smart and hire people who have different perspectives and different experiences so that we can combine all these different uh, disparate suitcases or of experience mm -hmm. so that they can come together and build on each other. There is nothing more beautiful to me than having a seed of an idea and a seed of an idea come in with individuals and creating a safe environment where they can exchange ideas and build on each other's ideas and come out with something grander than any individual came into the group with. Um, it's really important to have that diverse perspective. Mm -hmm. It's also, you know, like sometimes when we talk about diversity, we talk about hiring practices and a lot of companies do, uh, they make efforts to hire diverse populations, but it just can't stop there. You have to create that environment where you're capitalizing on the different experiences that these individuals are bringing in. Um, they're you know, there are also times when you've got individuals in a diverse team and maybe you have somebody who's more vocal than another, but if you understand what your team is working on and you understand the experiences that each person is bringing to the table, it's important for the leader too to ensure that those, sometimes your most silent people have the biggest opinions and the biggest uh, contributions and voice. So it's important for the leader of the group to ensure that that voice is heard as well. So sometimes I might say, you know, hey, John, I know that you recently went through this experience here. Can you share that with the team and what you did about doing this? And then I might, he might say what he did. And then somebody else might say, oh my gosh, I did that over here and we created these resources and then we can exchange and build. So mm -hmm. some of the ways that I've put them into practice and I think it's really valued by the teams and mm -hmm. it helps me it helps the team members gain confidence it helps the company so it's good all around okay so really giving everyone uh, giving the diverse populations on your team a platform and then even you know encouraging them and i was just wondering what that is is it uh important to reach out to them ahead of time if they're Kind of notorious for maybe not speaking up maybe they don't feel comfortable or for whatever reason would you have a sidebar conversation with them or if you're like leading a video call send them a little chat and you know say hey i really you know you have experience you've shared this with me would you mind sharing it or did you find that it's just fine to just pull them in yeah so i have periodic one-on-ones and oftentimes when I know that we're having a group conversation where we are going to be brainstorming and uh, coming up with different strategies around topics, I will ask them, hey, do you mind talking about this experience and this um, call that we're having up, or that's coming up? And they, I've never had them say no. They're usually pretty excited mm -hmm. to share, you know, to be highlighted and to share their experience. Now, there are some times when I don't necessarily have the time to to brief them ahead of time. But we have a very trusted relationship where they know that one, I would never put them into a situation or call on them where I'm 
they're going to look bad. Um, I'm always there to try to help and promote their successes. And so there's a mutual trust that we have too. So there are times when I ask people to chime in or share their experience based on something where I haven't briefed them first. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, so it seems like it's just important to use your best judgment. So if it's something that may be of personal or delicate in nature, then maybe have a sidebar conversation. But if it's something that they're talking about, they're excited about, but then they kind of clam up a little bit in one in a meeting, then some things are just okay to um, give them that platform kind of more off the cuff. Yeah, especially when people are really excited about the ideas that are being exchanged, you know, it can get a little bit fast paced and excited. And it, sometimes it makes it hard for certain individuals to, to jump in the conversation. And so me as a moderator, I can just say, hey, you know, tell us about what you did over here. And then that gets them to get in the conversation and then they have an easier time joining in on the excitement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was also wondering, do you ever set the stage? I, I heard the story about the old um, CEO of, I think it was Intuit. And so I guess before each meeting, and I think Mark Benioff might do this as well, you know, he'll set the stage for a meeting and say, this is what's expected. This is what we're covering this is what's acceptable, this is what's not acceptable behavior, you know, and just, and, and also, so do you ever make any blanket statements about even as explicit as this is a safe space or, or to support them in any way, or would you advise that or advise against it? Um, I am a big fan of clearly stating what it is that we're looking to accomplish in the meeting and I think that early on when the individuals are hired and when they join the team, I explain to them how these meetings work and how valuable their contribution is. So important for them to understand how they're contributing to the greater good. But they also, we establish that trust more, I think, in one-on-one -on -one relationships. I don't tend to go through rules of engagement when it's the group meeting because everybody already knows and maybe mm -hmm. I should. You know, but I think that it's already established and I, we have that mutual trust and it's already built. Okay. So. And, then, and then I have a question that uh, hopefully it doesn't come up and it's not too out of left field, but what if you have someone in a meeting who either knowingly or unknowingly is kind of creating an unsafe space or making someone uncomfortable? And again, sometimes it may not be on purpose. And so how would you handle that in a current meeting or in future to make sure that it doesn't happen again? Yeah, so I, I do sometimes ask somebody to hold that thought or let's take this offline. Um, there are times when that happens, but then simultaneously bringing other, other people in. So kind of putting that, you know, dampering that a little bit and then bringing other people in and then it's clear to everybody that, oh, that wasn't well accepted. And then I'll just maybe ping them on the side and say, hey, let's talk about this separately. Yeah. Uh, occasionally that does happen. Yeah, and, so, you know, okay, go about, ahead. Sometimes it's about, like if it's a group meeting and somebody has a personal agenda, then I'll recognize what it is that their personal agenda is and just tell them, I recognize that this is something that we need to talk about. Let's talk about this outside. Usually they, they fall in line. 
Okay, so it sounds like you're not shy about shutting that down. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that is a point, well, you know, because in a sense, you're being a mentor, you know, how we lead meetings or, you know, so we want, and, and I just want to applaud that because sometimes, you know, I think we've all been in meetings where someone is either intentionally or unintentionally complicit. Well, I don't want to call them out. I don't, oh, I don't really know. You know, and so it happens. And then, and the person may be doing it unknowingly or knowingly. And so by doing what you're, what you're doing by shutting it down and then taking it offline in private. So you're not going to zero in on that person, obviously, but by shutting it down, you're really um, communicating to everyone that this is a safe place and I will not allow that. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So for everyone listening, is there a call to action? What advice would you give? Is there something you would like them to try doing or to think about? What would be your main takeaway? I call it a take action takeaway. Yeah. So one, and you know, what's right for me is not necessarily right for everybody else, but I do believe that having a positive mindset, it helps me, it helps my team navigate through times that are a little bit more challenging or just more urgent. Set a plan and keep your eye on the goal and just nose down, you know, do what's needed to navigate toward that goal with mm -hmm. the with a positive environment around it, positive momentum for the team. Um, as far as work goes, that those are the two things that I think have helped me most uh, in the different roles that I've had. Uh, there are a couple books that I've recently read that I have really enjoyed. One is Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear. I love that book. And so the other <laughs> is uh, It's Rapid Growth Done Right by Val Wright. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that one as well. Yeah, Atomic Habits. Uh, he has a really interesting newsletter as well. So props out to James Clear. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. And thank you so much for your time. And remember, positive mindset and looking forward to the possibilities, maybe the imagine ifs rather than the what ifs. And uh, Coletta, thank you so much for taking the time. I look forward to following your journey. And um, I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Thank you very much. Thrilled to be here.